Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Foster with your weekly Market Insights. Today is May 1st, 2023, and this is Northbound Wealth Management Podcast. Strong earnings from several mega cap tech companies offset renewed regional banking jitters and weak economic data, leaving stocks higher for the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 0.86%, while the S&P 500 added 0.87%. The NASDAQ Composite Index rose 1.28% for the week, and the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks develop overseas stock markets lost 0.60%. What does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 34,098. That's year to date up 2.87%. NASDAQ closed at 12,226. That's up 16.82% for the year. MSCI EFA index closed at 2133. That's up 9.75% for the year. And S&P 500 closed at 4,169. That's up 8.59% for the year. So pretty good year for equities uh, thus far. Treasury market. So 10-year treasury note closed at 3.43%. That's year to date down about 0.35%. So earnings drive a rebound. It was a very busy week of earnings reports, as you guys may know from last week's podcast. But none more important than those from big tech names, which I covered again on last week's podcast. After two days of sharp losses on revived regional banking fears and otherwise lackluster earnings results, stocks rallied powerfully on a succession of positive earnings surprises from several mega cap companies. Also aiding in sentiment was last week's first quarter GDP report or gross domestic product uh, report through... Uh, Though the report showed muted economic growth that fell short of expectations, investors were uh, were encouraged by strong consumer spending, slowing growth. In a sign that higher rates are slowing economic growth, first quarter GDP slowed to 1.1% annualized growth rate as healthy consumer spending helped offset a decline in business investment and a slowdown in non-residential investment. Economists had expected first quarter GDP growth to come in at 2%. The business inventory investment slowdown reduced the headline GDP number by 2.26%. The initial estimate of GDP also reported some disappointing inflation news as the quarter-over-quarter personal consumption expenditures price index, the Fed's preferred inflation measure, rose 4.2%, which was higher than the 3.7% forecasted. This week, key economic data. Well, we're looking at the ISM manufacturing index on Monday, Tuesday, factory orders, job openings, and the JOLTS report. Wednesday, FOMC announcement, Institute for Supply Chain Management Services Index. Thursday, jobless claims. Friday, employment situation updates. This week, companies uh, that are reporting earnings on a notable basis, notable companies, that is, Stryker Corp, uh, ON Semiconductor, uh, that's Monday. Tuesday, Advanced Micro Devices, Ford, Pfizer, Starbucks, Marathon Petroleum. Wednesday, CVS, Qualcomm, Abermarl, Barrick Gold. Thursday, Apple, 
uh, Block, Shopify, ConocoPhillips, Booking Holdings, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Friday, Cigna, uh, EOG Resources, and Dominion Energy. So tax tips for those in the military. The Internal Revenue Service has certain special tax breaks and programs for members of the U.S. Armed Forces. Here are a few. So the Earned Income Tax Credit, you may include non-taxable combat pay in your taxable income, including it may boost uh, your earned income tax credit, resulting in you owing less and potentially a larger refund. Uh, signing joint returns. As a rule, both spouses normally must sign a joint income tax return. If your spouse is absent due to military duty, you may be able to sign for your spouse. However, you may need a power of attorney to file a joint return. Job search. So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act suspended the deduction for moving and job search expenses for most taxpayers through January 1st, 2026. The suspension does not apply to members of the armed forces on active duty who move under a military order related to a permanent change of station. And again, this information is not intended to uh, be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And this tip was adapted from IRS.gov. All right, stay tuned for the next segment. So trying to time a recession, huh? Some economic indicators are suggesting that a recession is possible in 2023, while others are sending mixed signals. And that's typical of a bear market, by the way. It's important to realize that economic fluctuations are normal and that if we enter into a recession, it is not the time to panic. Um, if you guys have been following my podcast or any of my commentary, we've been in, I believe, a rolling recession for quite some time now. As detailed below, which I'll post on the blog, every recession is unique with varying lengths of and severities. Putting recessions in context, in the past, we've survived every slowdown, and the U.S. economy's trajectory over time has been positive. The typical business cycle comprises of four phases, expansion, peak, contraction, and trough. As unpleasant as they can be, especially for those who lose their jobs or businesses, recessions are not an uncommon part of the business cycle. In fact, the U.S. economy has lived through 13 recessions since World War II. These downturns have ranged from long and deep to short and shallow. America's post-war recessions have lasted 10 months on average, while expansions have lasted 57 months. In the accompanying illustration, in, in, on, and I'm putting this out on the blog, so you can check it out there on my website, www.northboundwealth.com, you can see how stock prices have reacted before, during, and after each of the 13 recessions. Since 1950, stock prices have anticipated recessions, dropped during them, and started to rise before they ended. However, Keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future results. More specifically, the illustration shows that stocks dropped an average of 4% during the year before each recession. During the recession itself, stocks fell about 20% before entering a recovery phase and trending higher. As financial professionals, we know that trying to time recessions or markets is nearly impossible. Making major portfolio moves in anticipation of a slowdown is difficult even for professional investors. Instead, we monitor the economy and encourage our clients to maintain a focus on their goals, time horizons, and risk tolerance. 
If you'd like to talk with us about creating a long-term financial strategy to help you navigate the ups and downs of the business cycle, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, I do want to make this additional comment, and that is we here at Northbound Wealth Management uh, look at fundamental analysis, technical analysis, cycle analysis, and the economy. Uh, and then also we understand that behavioral analysis plays a big part into making portfolio decisions. So if you have questions about maybe how your portfolio is structured, or if you have if you have concerns about how you're positioned going into the second half, uh, coming up on the second half of 2023, where most economists are actually calling for a recession, please give us a call 317-399-1107. Be happy to talk to you about your specific situation. All right. Uh, stay tuned for the technical analysis spotlights. I haven't done one of those in a while, so we'll talk about that here in just a second. This is Brent Foster with your technical analysis spotlight, Northbound Wealth Management. Uh, May 1st, uh, the S&P 500 index pulls back from a favored resistance in the 4100s to 4200 range. I think that the selling builds momentum over the next several weeks, um, especially heading into the debt ceiling that's uh, coming up on June 1st. But the S&P 500, it's going to be likely to trade down to 4,010 um, or that 4,000 level. Um, I, I believe that we're going to have a retesting of the 3,500 uh, lows in the S&P 500 from last year. So if, if that 4,000 level breaks, we'll probably trade down to that 3,800, level. And if that breaks, we drop down and retest the 3,500 lows. Um, and that'll probably put in a bear market low, but it's hard to determine that given there's a lot of, uh, economic headwinds and things in the second half of this year, especially with the debt ceiling coming up. Uh, that it tends to be a political football by both parties, especially the Republicans at the moment. Um, I see support in that area, though. So that's good. You know, potentially, if you're looking at adding risk to a portfolio or looking to buy, that's a good level to potentially be buying in. And, and so, you know, it's not too far to say that we could see a 3491 handle on the S&P, uh, which is that 30, that's at October, 2022 low before setting a new low. And then that's a good buying opportunity, in my opinion, maybe adding some exposure to risk-based assets at that time. Um, you know, so that's kind of where it's at. I think that the, the Philadelphia semiconductor index or the SOXX ticker symbol is rejecting, uh, the ceiling that it was trading in. Uh, that was near 3,200 for it. And the semi-index, as some of my clients know, is a somewhat of a leading indicator as to where the market's headed. So I'm paying attention to that. And um, I, I think that we'll see uh, a sell-off there. Um, and I'll be paying attention to that as it's kind of leading again. Okay, so moving on. So last week ended the week on a strong note stocks gained more ground last week. And I talked about that earlier in the podcast to move into overhead resistance levels. It's the market's being led higher by communication and tech stocks. And as a result, the NASDAQ uh, 100 touched a new high for the year, which is great news for portfolios. I mean, Amazon really ripped well. A lot of my clients experienced the, the gains there in Amazon, uh, which is nice. Um, but the, the, the concern is that it's a narrow leadership group that's really pulling the markets higher 
um, and not like a broad base, lots of breadth between with all the S and P 500 companies moving up. Um, that's, that's not necessarily happening. It's just a, a concentrated group of stocks really pulling the market higher. Um, and there's multiple sectors that lost ground. Um, uh, those five sectors would include financials, materials, healthcare, industrials, and utilities. And so, um, you know, small caps are lagging too, like uh, market cap matters. So small caps, um, are lagging behind the larger cap names. People are going to safety and transportation stocks are also lagging behind, which, uh, which basically means the Dow theory is out of sync. Uh, the main premise of Dow theory is that industrials and transports uh, should uh, trend in the same direction and upside breakouts in one should be confirmed by another. That's not happening right now. So uh, the Dow industrials testing a, a falling resistance line drawn over December and February highs and nearing a, a two month high. Uh, that's that's an encouraging sign. However, you know, it's the Dow transports showing uh, signs of weakening and it's trading closer to their December low and trying to regain their 200 day moving average. The inability uh, of more economically sensitive transports to keep pace with the industrials is potential warning that any upside breakout in the Dow might be kind of questioned or suspect. So, um, you know, it's hard to, hard to determine. That's also typical in a bear market. There's just not a lot of clarity. And uh, so airlines and rails, so airline companies, Delta, United, et cetera, are, are weak and, and so are rails. And uh, another transport that, that's weak is UPS. Uh, just can't get about, get out of its own way. It's plunging below its 200-day moving average. Um, and again, the main idea behind Dow theory is that industrial companies make the products while transportation companies move the products to market. In a healthy environment, both should be rising together. And right now they're not doing that. So that's concerning. Oh, by the way, uh, JP Morgan uh, took over First Republic Bank. Uh, and then Janet Yellen warned that the U.S. may hit its debt ceiling as early as June 1st. Um, just those two things are quite a bit to digest, especially the news about the debt ceiling, since most investors aren't expecting it to come so soon. Um so the question is, is uh, what could happen if the U.S. defaults on its debt? Well, it could send the stock market down. People may not get their monthly benefit checks and some parts of the government could shut down, at least for a while. But in short, you know, there could be some chaos. Um, but this too shall pass. Those who are engaged with financial markets in the past 12 years may remember what took place during the debt ceiling debacle in 2011. To refresh your memory, the stock market plummeted, the S&P downgraded the credit rating of the United States, and uh, that had repercussions the following year. The cost to borrow shot up and there were uh, many cost cuts. Uh, could a similar situation take place this year? I guess. Uh, let's hope that that doesn't happen, but to be prepared, it doesn't hurt to take a look at some of the previous potential support and resistance levels. So the debt ceiling crisis of 2011 versus if we want to call it a crisis of 2023, basic charting and math. And just to put this in layman's terms, probably a, a, a 10 to 15% decline, maybe even the 17% decline in the S and P 500 uh, within the few weeks around that period of time of a debt crisis or a, a debt ceiling issue with the U.S. government. 
Um, that could happen. So you're going to see a spike in volatility and people get fearful. Um, and that's actually, it could actually present a great opportunity for those who want to get long and risk assets because the, the probabilities that uh, cooler and calmer heads prevail and that we'll figure out a solution are, are pretty high. So um, that's food for thought. As you think about heading into the next several months, we're just not sure how that's going to play out, but um, we're going to, we're going to be defensive. We're going to think about things in a, in a reasonable way. And uh, I've, I've gotten questions about, you know, how safe are my treasuries? And I mean, it's the best trade in town right now. Uh, that's why the three month treasury is above 5%. The, the, the six month and the nine month are all really high and the yield curve is inverted and uh, everybody's plowing into safety as to, um, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are looking for safe, havens and that's one of them and that's a one that uh, a lot of my clients are into here at northbound wealth management so um we'll keep an eye on it and we'll keep an eye on the fib retracement levels in the s p 500 uh you know just look for a retest and it's an opportunity it's also an opportunity now to play some defense so uh, i've i've pretty much uh done that where I, where i think it's necessary and I'm excited about that. If you have any questions about your portfolio positioning and maybe get some near-term, mid-term, and long-term views on the equity markets from a technical perspective in layman's terms, uh, give me a call, uh, 317-399-1107. Shoot me an email at info at northboundwealth.com. So during the 2022-2023 academic year, the average cost for one year of college, including tuition, fees, room, board, and other expenses was $27,940 for public four-year in-state schools and $57,570 for private universities. That works out to be a six-figure commitment for a four-year degree, and these costs may be getting higher. Footing the higher education bills for your child or grandchild may seem daunting, but with the right type of preparation, it doesn't have to be out of the reach. The first thing to remember is that while the price tag for college is rather eye-popping, not everyone pays the full price. For example, one study found that 89% of students going to the most selective institutions don't pay full tuition. So although the cost of college has roughly doubled in the past 30 years, financial aid and merit scholarships have risen at a similar pace. However, even with aid and scholarships, colleges still a major expense. Here are a few tips I like to share for those starting to think about saving for college, including my nieces out in Oregon. A word of caution, don't put off saving for college. It is, if it's one of your goals, getting an early start can help you put, uh, if it's one of your goals, getting an early start can help put you in a stronger financial position. Have an early and honest conversation with your family and college bound children about how much you're prepared to spend. Don't let your student buy the sweatshirt if the school's cost is prohibitive. Remember, while retirement is a necessity, parent-funded college education is a luxury. Think twice before dipping into a retirement account to pay for your child's or grandchild's education. And here's a word of encouragement. Consider starting a college fund for your child or grandchild's education. There are a number of programs for this, including some that offer tax advantages. Submit, a, submit the free application for federal student aid or FAFSA to your student's target college, even if you don't expect uh, to qualify. Submitting this form may help put 
your student in a position to accept any grants or scholarships before considering student loans. Search for scholarship opportunities, which are offered by many organizations. Unlike student loans, they may not have to be paid back. Consider federal student loan choices before exploring private loan programs. Federal loans may have benefits not offered by private loans. So we've helped clients implement college strategies that take into account a wide variety of funding choices. And this is an extremely rewarding aspect of our role as financial advisors. If you or anyone you know would like to discuss college strategies, feel free to have them contact us anytime. And uh, some of this information was adapted from collegeboard.org and uh, some from the New York Times. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.